welcome back to Not Your Mana. This is Michelle, your host, and the only person who ever talks to you on this podcast. Um, I have a couple appendixes to my sermon on the gospel that I wanted to share with you. Just some chunks of thought potentially worth chewing on. So here you are. Chew away. Hello there. This is Michelle. And as promised, I have some deleted scenes from my sermon on Sunday. I don't know if you all know this, but when you write a sermon, there's just never time to say everything you want to say, especially if you're me. I'm just just a talker. So anyways, I have some, um, some thoughts, some addendums to the things that I said and uh, wanted to share them with you. So um, do you remember we were talking about the idea of taking the Lord's name in vain and how his name is actually perhaps closer akin to his character. Um, and so this is where the, this is what we quoted. This is ex, this is Exodus thirty four five and six, and it says this. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, which is Yahweh. And then he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now I read that during my sermon, talked about just like what is, you know, kind of what is the heart of God and how his character holds true whether we are, you know, quote unquote sinners or whether we are redeemed, that that is the character of the Lord. Um, I don't know if you know, there's another sentence after that. So I didn't have time to go into it, but I wanted to take you there now. So he, so he says, you know, he maintains love to, to thousands. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, but he punishes the children, their, their, he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Okay, so that's interesting. And I don't know if, if you all listened to me quote that verse, you were like, hey, read the next sentence, lady. Um, so because like, you know, the first part is pretty fuzzy, right? You're like, oh, he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. I do think it's interesting that that's what he says first. And then he says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So he's like, oh, so there's this like consequence to sin that is also happening. And that is also somehow part of his character. And so, and, and I would say, and I wonder if you would agree that I feel like in practice that feels true. Like if you have a, a if your great grandfather was a uh, raging alcoholic, and there was this alcoholism and the effects of alcoholism on the children, I'm like, doesn't that stretch for three or four, three or four generations? Doesn't it feel that way? Where you're like, that that kind of the consequence, the uh, result of that sin seems to actually linger. Now, does God make that happen, or is that something that um, that is a result of the fall? So you can wrestle with that in a little bit. Um, what I wanted to say is this, is um, so he's so let's just in theory, let's go, let's say, okay, he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers of the third and fourth generation. Okay, so there's something about, you know, God's justice in there. And um, I do believe we cannot love God in slices. Um, I have a whole talk about that if you'd like to hear about that. But I do think sometimes we like to pick and choose what parts of God we like 
And I, we can't do that. I wouldn't like that if you did that to me. If you started picking which slices of me you like the best, you're like, oh yeah, I like it when she preaches, but I really don't like to, uh, you know, ever talk to her about her children. Like I'm like, that was rude. Anyway, so I'm like, I don't think I would like that anymore than we would. Um, but so I, so this is all, there's a, this is all part of him, right? So I want to read some other verses that are kind of like that. We're going to hop over to Exodus 26, 20, like 20, verse 6. Um, and the, well, Exodus 34, where we just were, it's titled, The New Stone Tablets. I'm going to read this to you just because it's funny. This is um, Exodus 34, 1. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets, just like the first ones, and I will write on them the words which were on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> Be ready in the morning and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me. So this is like, so what I read to you on Sunday was take two of the Ten Commandments. So he first gets the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where we're about to read. And then Moses got really upset when he came down Sinai and saw that they had been worshiping a golden calf. So he broke them. Could you imagine? (laughs) Like you divinely get this gift and then you get upset and break them and they're like oh like one how angry must he have been and then two what would have to be happening inside you that you would actually break the tablets these precious things that, that god himself had just given you anyway it's not a tangent anyway i just think which you broke it sounds like a just sounds like a parent doesn't it not funny okay anyway so that was you know take two in take one exodus 20 um it says this um, like I am the Lord, your God, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol. I'm going to read that part. Okay. So this is Exodus 20 verse four. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who keep my commandments. Okay, so one, I mean, I think when Moses came down the mountain and actually saw them breaking that, that very command, do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or on earth, like, and they're like, ah, you made a golden calf, smash. Okay, really, we're here to focus on the words. Okay, so he says... It's the same sentiment that we read in Exodus 34, just worded a little bit differently, Um, which I kind of wonder is a translation thing. Like, I wonder if we could read this all in the Greek, how we'd feel about it. So if any of you are wise enough to know the answer to that question, you know, look me up and I'd love to talk to you. So, but this is what it says in my little NIV. I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Hmm interesting, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who keep my commandments. So there's this balance between the third and the fourth generation or a thousand. So that's a, a, a big difference between like, if you're faithful, you will be, you and your children will be blessed for a thousand generations. But if you hate God, and which isn't just like, you know, oopsie, like I accidentally, but you're like, no, if you hate God, that's then maybe that's punished for third and fourth generations. We're also going to read Deuteronomy 7, 9. It says this. Know, therefore, that the love of your God... Sorry, start over. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, that he is the faithful God, 
keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So repeatedly, we will see this over and over. Um, we sing the song, The Blessing, it says that, and it's like, will you be blessed to a thousand generations? That comes out on the numbers. Like I just, there's this sense of like that he will bless for a thousand generations. And it's this promise that is given to those who are faithful and who love the Lord. Um, and so we cannot love God in slices. We cannot choose the slices we like the best. We have to, all of him, right? Um, but I just want to point out what he's doing here. So like, let's just say we have three, the third and the fourth generation on one hand and a thousand generations on the other. So let's just do math, which is not my forte, but let's be really generous with the potential wrath and judgment of God and give him, that's 0.04% of punishing and 99.06% of maintaining love for a thousand generations and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Like, so if you were to put that on a scale, we have 99.06 is the thousand generations and only three or 4% is 0.04 of the judgment. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like less, and I don't think the point is the divine math here. Like I think he is trying to prove a point that he's, I think he is trying to say sin has consequences that linger three, 30 or four generations, but the but there's a spiritual component of what happens when we are faithful and that that tips the scales so far. Like he's saying, if you want to focus on the punishment, that's about 0.04%. It is not a very big percent, <laughs> but the love, the faithfulness, the blessing, the compassion and gracious God overflowing, like that lasts for a thousand generations. Like the spiritual implications of following him are so much more weighty than punishment. So I think we could like latch on to like, oh yeah, like in that Exodus verse, we're like, oh yeah, he's punishing, see? And I go, I think he's trying to make a point of like, that part of me is, so, it is part of my character and it's part of the way the spiritual world works, but it is, he is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. Like, I think he's trying to say, if you put these two things on a scale you would find me very slow to anger, very slow to wrath, very much not wanting to punish, but to re reveal my love to thousands. And so I just, I think sometimes when we share the gospel, I feel like I have often heard the weightiness of, um, of sin and death and judgment. And I think I just want to push on that a little bit and maybe hold it with a more open hand. And this is something that the Lord had to really do in me because, you know, I was trained, I was grown up to share the gospel in a certain way. Um, I actually took classes at summer camp and I got a little card that said that I was like a certified evangelist or something. And that like, if I went to like a rally or something, I was allowed to go behind the stage if people came up for an altar call and I could lead them to Christ because they had taught me like the Roman road and such. Um, you know, and, and this idea of like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And so that you go like, hey, you're guilty of sin and the wages of sin is death and this, and, and then Jesus died to take your place. So th that is how I was taught to share the gospel. <clears throat> and um, which, which that's in scripture and there's some truth too. Sorry, I needed a drink. Um, 
but I don't think it is the most weighty part of his character. Like when I look of like, if I shared the gospel a thousand times, in three or four of them was I really heavy on sin and wrath? Like that's just is an interesting question. Like I think I was trained that every time you share the gospel, you need to be really clear about sin and really clear about the wages of sin and death and judgment. And I, I just would put a question mark by that. And I'm like, is that a very true representation of his character that we weigh so heavy on that? Like, is that, I don't know. I just think that that's something maybe we should talk about and maybe hold with an open hand and wonder about um, and hold loosely. Because I, I grew up in a Christian culture that held that really, really tightly. And um, I wonder what God thinks about that. And I wonder if it's rightly reflecting his character. So I think I would probably err in the 96.06%, which is what you heard me do on Sunday. Like if you hear about, you know, what I said, um, I erred really tight, really deeply on that because I think that I leaned toward the 96%. Oh, sorry, 99.06%. I just said like, that is what I think is really true. So... Um, that's my, uh, math for you. And I had one other thing I wanted to say to you. Um, I just wanted to footnote all of this with two things. One is, um, I read a book called, um, God has a name by John Mark Comer. I think it was a year ago and it was just so good. Like it's some of where this thought about God's character came from. And it's kind of what highlighted that to me. And it was like every book I read there for a little while talked about this idea of like God's character and his name. And and it just was, it was very profound and I loved it. Um, so that was just a real good read. Um, and I think kind of became a part of it pretty deeply. And then there was this other book that recently fell in my hands. My, a good friend of mine gave it to me for Christmas. Um, her, dad is a pastor and he said this is the best book I've ever read and so she gave it to me she says well my dad says it's the best book you ever read so maybe you want to read it um and so I uh you know went ahead and read it <clears throat> and when she gave it to me I was like oh that's interesting because <clears throat> excuse me um <clears throat> it was written by this guy it's called Gentle and Lowly and it's written by Dane Ortland. and I kept being like what turns out I grew up with this kid. So um, Dane Orland and I grew up in the same church. And um, his brother, Eric, and I went to college together. And I actually, I, it's like I just know, um, I went to a very small college and where we spent a lot. Of, I, I can like tell you things that Eric thought and taught and such. And I know where we grew up and the context in which we grew up in. And I would say what I just said about the, um, you know, 0.04% and such, like that felt very true of the way that we were raised to think about sin. And anyway, so I was reading this book and I just wanted to shout out to this guy because I'm like, you, my friend, were a pilgrim theologian. Like he held loosely, like I'm trying to, the, th- the way we were grown up. And I think he, w- he was willing to wrestle and hold it open-handedly and stretch it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like if, if um, I actually read some reviews where people were like mad at him for leaning too heavily, heavily on the gracious and kindness of God. And um, I just was like, it was a beautiful picture to me of like 
how do we grow in our faith and how do we hold things loosely and how do we let our ideas change over time as the spirit reveals evidence of new things. So I'm not talking about being wishy-washy in your faith and just like, you know, like James says, being double-minded and being unstable in all you do and blowing around. But I'm like, no, there is something though of like going, I will hold this open-handedly and I will follow you really faithfully and not fortress theology. I will not go, this is the only true way. I just think it's very destructive to community, to faith, to ourselves. Sometimes I think it's appalling to the character itself of God. And I just think we need to be really careful with the things that we ascribe to him um, and the way that we talk about him. So, um, so this book was really good. And I also would say like, I don't agree with everything it says. There, I hardly ever read a book that I agree with everything it says. <laughs> like that is just really rare. Um, you know, but I'm also like, I can read, a. I, I actually push myself and I make myself read books of things that I don't actually probably agree with because I needed it to shine lights on the holes in my thinking. So I need to read and talk to people and be around theology and ideas and such that are not necessarily the things that I naturally are bent to believe or the things that I was taught to believe or whatever. So open-handed, on a journey, not afraid to ask questions, not afraid to wonder, you know, um, and I just, I think it's good. I think it's good to be able to do that. So, um, shout out to my childhood friend, Dane, and, um, for being willing to do that and just to, and inviting us all on a journey to do that. So I think let's keep it up. So anyways, I think those are my thoughts. And let's pray. God, would you help us to one, understand your scripture, to not simplify you to be something that's made in our image. Um, And also, Lord, help us not to take your name in vain, to not take your character in vain, to not misrepresent you to the world. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who rightly reflect you to the world around us. And Lord, would you teach us what that means? Would you sift us? Would you, um, would you just test our hearts and our theology and our, our thoughts, um, about you? Um, <laughs> time out. I'm standing outside currently and the snow was just really big. We just had that big, huge May unexpected snow and all the <laughs> All the snow is falling off of the trees. I'm hiding under an awning um, because my children came into the kitchen in the middle of when I was recording this and I just stepped outside, but I just got pummeled in some snow <laughs> that's falling out of the trees. <sighs> okay. Anyway, back to the prayer. Um, anyway, Lord, help us. Help us to sift. Help us to um, they hold things with open hands and help us to follow you, God. And I pray that next week, next year, 10 years from now that I will look more like you, Jesus, than I do right now, that you would continue to teach me and sift me. And then I would fall more deeply in love and that I would know you, God. And then I would invest in this spiritual journey that you have called me to and that I would lean into the invisible and know who you are. Lord, may we be a people who do that. Help us in the places where that is hard and, um, and woo us, God, more deeply into your character. May we know you as you are, whatever that means, and in the fullness of what that means. God, would you help us to know you? In Jesus' name, amen.
Hi, this is Michelle. I have a couple other appendix thoughts to my sermon that I gave on the gospel. You know, some deleted scenes. Um, one thing is, um, I could probably talk a lot about this pilgrim theology idea, which maybe I'll do that someday. But, um, you know, and I, I kind of asked, can we hold things with open hands? And like, if we hear something that we think is maybe shocking or potentially heresy that we could hold it with an open hand and go, huh, I wonder about that. And like, hold it loosely as opposed to, you know, make a fist and start punching each other. Um, I was tempted to just throw in some comments in my sermon that maybe (laughs) would elicit that response just to, you know, practice. Um, I, uh, you know, sometimes I think it's good to surround ourselves in people who think differently than we do because it helps us to be challenged and to grow and to wonder and to be humble and not arrogant in our theology. So anyway, I was tempted just to throw in things that might rattle people, but I thought, you know, that's mean. But um, I did make this comment that I wonder if it kind of did rattle people. Like, I think if I was like, hmm, if anybody was going to probably get upset, this is maybe one of the things they would get upset about. So <laughs> not that I like to go back and highlight things that might be, make people upset, but I think that's what I'm about to do. Um, it is this phrase that Jesus says on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, I also, I just want to throw back to my, um, my childhood pastor always said this phrase and it, cause it's written in here in Aramaic. It says, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. And, um, and that's how he said it. And I think he spoke Greek and Hebrew, and which I guess makes me think he also speaks which I think that's Aramaic. So um, anyway, I don't know. And then sometimes I hear people say, Aloe, Aloe, Lama Sabachthani. And I'm like, I wonder if that's right. Um, But it always just makes me think, I'm like, you know how some things just stick with you in weird ways? That phrase is something that I have like memorized. (laughs) It's just like in my blood. Um, So, you you know, you never know what you're going to say that's actually going to get stuck in people. Um, and that later they'll think of, you know, my friend so-and-so always said this. And I don't know, anyway, that's just, you know, that's for free. When people remember you, what do they remember that you said? <laughs> There's a man in my life who I remember saying, Aloe, Aloe, Lama, Sabachthani. But I digress. Um, okay, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, I made an argument during my sermon that I believe that that is Jesus taking on our sin and death and then that he experiences separation from God in that moment. He feels what we feel when there's so much sin and death and darkness that clouds our ability to experience God. And that I said, I said, I do not believe all of the sin in the world would be able to fracture the Trinity. That line might be controversial. Hold it with an open hand. I just wanted to explain myself a little bit. This is just, you know, I, I, I was raised um, to believe that that's exactly what happens, is that God is so holy and that he can't stand to be around sin so that he has to then abandon Jesus on the cross. And um, I guess I just always thought that was true. And I already explained some of this, you know, that, that I'm like, I believe that Jesus tells us what God is like and that he always moved towards sinners and he didn't move away from them. So therefore we can believe that. Um, and I just don't think, (coughs) sorry, I just don't think that, um, that the Trinity is able to be fractured, like split. Like, I don't think that, 
Um, so it's kind of more about like the nature of Jesus. I think that makes me think that it's not possible that the father could have left Jesus because they're actually one. Like, I think it actually would be more likely that Jesus would cease to be like, I think if the father had left him, it would be like he had like evaporated out of himself. Like I just, like if you, when I think about like the councils and like the, you know, all of the talk about, you know, the various natures of God and blah, blah, you know, all of those kinds of thoughts. I'm like, some of that comes back to me in this moment. And I go, so is it possible that one part of the Trinity can leave another part of the Trinity? I, if they're actually one, like, I don't know. That to me seems ludicrous. And, um, so, I mean, there's probably some more theology behind that and kind of how I got there. But, um, I used to really believe that that was true, that the father abandoned Jesus at that moment. And that's why he said that. Um, but I don't, I just don't, I have come to a place in my life currently where I don't think I believe that anymore. One, because of the nature of Jesus and how he moves towards sinners in his holiness, that he is fully capable of moving towards sinners and that I do not believe it's in the nature of the Trinity to be able to be able to abandon itself. So I do stand by, I'm like, I don't think, I think he felt abandoned the way that we often feel abandoned. Um, and we're so tempted to believe that, aren't we? Gosh, I think he just took the weight of all of that on. Oh man, think of it. Um, but I do not think that the Trinity got splintered at that moment. Um, and then, and then also, of course, right after that, Jesus, the last thing he says as he dies is father into your hands, I commit my spirit. So like he, even though he feels abandoned in one minute, he goes, he goes, no, what I know to be true. And maybe that is why Jesus never sinned. Like, is Jesus sinless? Because even in his worst, darkest moment, when he felt abandoned by the Father, he actually was able to hold on in faith and go, God, I, Father, I believe that you are still with me and into your hands I commit my spirit. Like, he was like, I, one, I still know you're real. Two, I know you're still with me even if I can't feel you. And my spirit is yours regardless. Like, isn't that the point? of all of this, like could even just that itself be the model of what it means to follow God is to go, no matter what happens, no matter how dark, no matter how heavy, no matter how tempted I am to believe that you have abandoned me, or maybe even that you're evil or that you don't exist, I will hold on to faith against all odds and trust that you are with me and that you are real and that I will commit my spirit to you no matter what. I think Jesus modeled that. He did not break faith in that moment, in the darkest moment of being crushed and killed by sin. So I think that is faith. And then into your hands, I commit my spirit. Um, what a beautiful thing to get to, to say that in the midst of such darkness. So um, those are my thoughts. I probably have more. I always have more. But um, those are some thoughts about that. And, um, you know, go on your own journey. Ask some questions. Um, what did Paul say to the Bereans in Acts? He said, he said, you know, go test for yourself whether these things are true. And, and I think anytime, anytime we like read anything, hear anything, we have to go, is this real? Is this true? And we got to chew on it for a while. Like, I just think anytime you like 
you know, read something or hear something and you just swallow it whole. And I was like, I would just never do that. I always want to take the things I read and think and hear and whatever and hold it before the Lord and pray about it and go, is this, is this true? And will you show me? And you know, scripture says that every matter will be um, established on the account of two or three witnesses. I think that that is true. I think that like when something is true, you will run into two or three witnesses about it. Like in scripture, um, God is just really faithful to like bring, if he's trying to show you something, I think he brings multiple witnesses to you, which sometimes are like other people. Um, but I think it's often other scriptures that kind of bring things to you that you go, Oh, and then you get two or three witnesses around an idea. Um, and then you start going, okay, that might be true. So sometimes when I hear an idea that I feel like maybe is like rogue or something, and then I'm like, could that be true? And then I go, Lord, give me some witnesses. And I hold it with an open hand and I say, God, will you show me or show me witnesses to the contrary, you know, but I think a willing heart, God is open to lead and it's not about arriving somewhere, but being on a journey. So, um, Jesus, will you help us? Will you help us to hold things loosely? We help us to follow you. Um, thank you, Jesus, for the example that you gave us on the cross of in the midst of such darkness to then commit your spirit to the father to believe what was true in the midst of an impossible moment. Um, or teach us how to live like that. Teach me how to live like that. Pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.